welcome to Improv, Beat by Beat. I'm Curtis Rutherford. Now, I interviewed a whole bunch of improvisers about different aspects of improv, just to get all of their opinions, and I've put it together section by section, facet by facet, so we can break down improv. This is episode one, Game, Framing and Justifications. This first episode is in two parts. The first part is about framing and justification, and the second part is about actually playing the game. Game is the most important part about UCB Improv, and, by extension, New York Improv. Theaters here either teach some variation of game, or they go out of their way to say they don't teach game. But either way, it's in response to game. Because game is so goddamn important, I made it the very first episode. And, because framing is so important to finding game, I made it the first part of the first episode. Now, by the way, the people that I talk to are almost entirely UCB improvisers here in New York, so that does give somewhat of a bias to everything I'm going to say, but it's all broadly applicable. There are some terms that I'm going to use that are maybe UCB-specific. The first one is game, which Achilles will go into in a second, but the other one is framing, which basically, from the UCB manual... Framing means letting your scene partner know that you feel they have done or said something unusual within the context of base reality. It's a way of basically saying, hey, hey, that was unusual. Let's please do more of that. I'm going to be very, very blunt about this. Without framing, game does not exist. Unless you agree with your scene partner about what is funny and communicate that agreement to her, you won't be able to have a successful scene. Somebody's got to label what's going on. And... Honestly, if you hire me as a coach and say, oh, Curtis, we want to work on game, I can guarantee I'm going to spend our time working on framing the game. And only when you have that down, then we'll move on to everything else. Justifying, making those next game moves, giving that game space to breathe, all of that. And that's why that's going to be the second episode. And this first episode is really just about framing and then figuring out what that justification is. Now, Let's start with noted game expert Achilles Stamatolaki, who's going to break down game from the very beginning of its introduction, which in UCB is in the 201 class. First off, what's your definition of game? Well, it's funny because I, I teach a lot of 201, mm-hmm. and it's like kind of my favorite level to mm-hmm. teach. And I always, on the first day, I read the um, UCB manual definition uh, of it, which is basically, it just says it's like the um, unusual behavior in the scene that both people heighten and mm-hmm. explore. And I think that's a good like definition for mm-hmm. game. I think... Um, How I come? Give, which, I, which parts of that do you specifically like? One, I like unusual behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not... Like the game isn't based around usual, for lack yeah. of a better word, behavior. It's, yeah, what's weird about this? What's specific about this. So I like that it encapsulates that. I also like that um, it mentions uh, the two people or, or however many people are on uh, stage doing the thing together. And it's everybody's doing the same game. Everybody's right. playing the same game. So I like that aspect of it, of like, it's specifically unusual behavior, not just a list of things. So like human behavior. Mm-hmm. And then a bunch of people are playing that one thing uh, together. And then I also give like a short answer Mm -hmm. so like that's the long version and then the short version of how i define it is it's just the funny thing about your scene which i think is kind of like the boilerplate definition of what game is but i also think it's very if you don't know anything about improv Mm -hmm. and you hear like oh it's the funny thing about the scene that makes you kind of highlight what it is about the scene that game quote unquote game is yeah you know so what are your favorite things to then work on with 201 students to get them better at game first off i think um for me 
the first thing I uh, have them kind of do is all the scene etiquette stuff um, that helps them get in agreement with the other person first. Because I think sometimes when we start teaching game, that's all they think about and mm-hmm. that's all they chase and that's all they uh, try to go to and they forget all about the things um, at the top of the scene that are really necessary for actually finding a game. So I talk about things when we do the, the warm-up scenes at the first day of 201, I talk about like check in with your scene partner, make eye contact with each other, be good scene partners to each other, don't talk over right. each other because um, all that stuff, if you nail that down in the first few weeks, I think it makes teaching game a lot easier because they're already in a mode of I'm going to be working with another person to help find this thing versus one person's idea of what's funny about the scene competing with another person's idea. You know, that type of stuff crops up once in a while uh, as you keep teaching game. Mm -hmm. But I like having a foundation of agreement with the other person first Mm -hmm. and then funny thing second. Now here's Nicole Dressbell. This was during a discussion about teaching different levels at UCB, specifically, again, 201. So like 201, right? Mm -hmm. So 201, you're learning games. So what are like the pitfalls that people fall into? Or what are the notes that you feel like you repeat most often to a 201 class? Uh, 201, you're not learning game. 201, you are learning how to recognize and communicate and play game with another person. Okay. And I think that that's a thing that I am guilty of is like making sure... In 201, we should be drilling the handshake, drilling like knowing that we are both playing the same game. And if you don't do that, you did not have a game. Right. If the scene ends and you say the the game was this, right? And the other person thinks it was something else. It wasn't you were right about the game and the other person was wrong. It was neither person had a game. No, but too often coaches and maybe teachers uh, we say the person was right who said the same thing we were thinking. Exactly. And then we, and that's like so damaging and it's so prevalent. We all do it. I definitely do it. But it's like the last thing we should be doing. Mm-hmm. If, fuck me, if the two people on stage were playing the same thing and I saw a different thing, I mean, power to me as a coach or teacher for getting them to the same, to the place where they could recognize something together. Mm-hmm. But definitely like I'm the piece that f- matters the least. And I think it's like a necessary evil of the fact that like, well, sometimes you, in order to get them to experience game at all, you have to sort of kind of like spoon feed a little bit or yeah, exactly. You have to spoon feed it to them, but then we uh, go too far in that direction and we only spoon feed. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, spoon feeding is a tool, but the end goal is that they can like lock in and communicate a game. So anyway, that's my way of saying pitfall of 201 students is like wanting to show that they understand game and wanting to show that like they can play game. And it's like, okay, I know that's helpful and we do reward that and it is reassuring for a teacher to see. But the bigger thing you need to be doing is like, am I capable of locking in with another person? Am I working those communication skills? Again, it's all about agreement. Next up, James Dwyer explains how to take care of the beginning of the scene. I would say the thing that comes up the most is the need not to be funny right at the top of the scene. Yeah. You know what it is? People go, they see Harold Knight, they see Lloyd Knight, they see the weekend shows, they see every improv show at UCB. And when uh, the scenes start, it's always really funny yeah. to start. Uh, but that's because they're usually going off a premise or an opening or something that generated ideas. And so people often at the tops of their scenes, when we're just going off a suggestion, don't take care of the work of the scene first to the base reality of the who are, who are these weirdos, what are they doing, uh, how are they normal before how are they weird. Uh, so that's the thing that happens a lot for me is uh, that base reality. People don't take care of it. 
So base reality, of course, meaning like the the context. Yeah. What's going on? What's the normal of the scene? So yeah, that is constant. It doesn't matter what level it is. Mm-hmm. People don't do the work at the top of the scene because they're so worried about pinning down a game. Yeah. Or something fun, making sure it's interesting. So even though you have that time at the top of a scene, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like, it doesn't always feel like it, but it is like, oh, you can take care of a lot of that in a couple lines. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like realistically too, the people who are really good, they take care of all of it in a in a line or two. Yeah. And with just like an economy of words and the way that they carry themselves, they're very present and they're paying attention to you know, the environment of the scene, things like that. But it took me a very long time to just be comfortable being not funny or tr- not trying, mm-hmm. not being on when you're on stage. So I get it. Who's very good at, at that, at, like, just taking care of reality very quickly? Alex Dixon on The Stepfathers. I, I feel like she'll take care of the scene, though. Yeah. You don't have to worry about that when you're in a scene with her. Yeah, Absolutely. You know, I mean, Chet Siegel's really good. Sebastian's good. Sebastian does it in all those small ways. Uh, Sebastian Canelli, where yeah. he like is not doing anything crazy. Yeah, Sebastian's a guy who I think takes care of the scene just because of the natural way he improvises. Yeah. He feels real. It feels grounded, uh, and he does all these small things behavior-wise that are so truthful but so funny. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think he's someone who just naturally does that. Yeah. He'll just like hold himself like a particular character and mm-hmm. you can just read it on his expression of this is how this person feels about that. Yeah. He always does this stupid thing that makes me laugh, which is he'll be a character and then he'll have a moment where he sort of quickly turns his eyes to the side and like closes his mouth like, ooh, that, that's not good. Like it's so stupid. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I think he takes care of the scene. So something I actually do because I think it's hard people – need to learn how to improvise first off a suggestion, which is very different from improvising off of uh, a premise or a a story or off of a pattern game or something like that. So I actually, in my later levels, I have them do an exercise that's like adapted from other exercises I've learned from people like Will Hines. I just, I guess I say Will Hines because I think I had him more than any other teacher at Mm -hmm. UCB. But, um, it's just the first line of the scene has to be, these are three-line scenes. The first line has to be an accusation of a thing a character did like that you wouldn't normally want to take ownership for, like you killed my dog or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the second line just has to be, yes, I did that thing, and why? Even if we don't have a good justification, just speak to it. And then the third line has to be, oh, that's right, you do believe that. Oh, that's right. I forgot that about you. Okay, let's get back to making the cookies. Okay, right. let's get back to blank. Because I feel like that's the rhythm of a lot of uh, Lloyd Knight or Harold Knight scenes where you have a hard premise at the top. And then you just have to be able to, like, you're taking care of the game, but you're also taking care of the scene. Mm-hmm. Being like, the okay, but what's more important to the straight man? Like, the normal course of life that has to go about this scene because they're not crazy. Yeah. Uh, but we both also want to take care of the game. We still want to have fun with the game without derailing it, without killing it. Yeah. And that third line gives us something to return to. Yeah, it's like the hard reset, and it also gives us, like, everything we need. That's something I do a lot. I teach, like, a pattern game herald advanced study class, Uh uh, which definitely is inspired by the fact that Sean Disson was doing the same before he left. Right. Uh, And I feel like there needs to be a class like that in advanced study. And that's an exercise we do. We drill it a ton. Yeah. To the point where I think they hate it. 
Um, but I think it works. So James mentioned those basic three-line scenes. Accusation or premise, and then a justification, and then agreement in return. That's pretty simple. Notice that the second and third lines are basically framing the game. It's been pitched in the premise, but the response by that second person says, I agree, we're doing this game. You accused me of this thing. I'm explaining why I do it by saying, hey, this is the it that I do, and then I explain why. I justify it. That third line then says, great, you know you do that thing. It's that other person framing the other person's frame, really, just like, again, like shaking hands with that person. Okay, great. We're going to do this thing. That's why it's so important to have that strong beginning of a scene. Here's Sebastian Canelli with more on setting up the beginning of a scene. So first off, so what do you like to do with teams to get them better at game? Um, well, first thing I always like to do is make sure that they're playing a base reality mm -hmm. because I feel like, um, too often that we don't know what an unusual thing is unless we know like the setting you act one way in a library and you act another way at a baseball game or like you wouldn't be, if you're yelling at a library, that's unusual, right? So right. you need to like, it sounds so stupid, but like you need to know where you are and what exactly is happening. Um, because I feel like that's the part of improv that like isn't glamorous just to be like like do the kind of work of the scene like do a normal like oh yep we're uh, a brother and sister and it's Christmas morning right mm -hmm. I think that that's the uh, first step that I do um, after that I usually um, it's hard for people sometimes to like uh, notice games so sometimes I point out like react honestly to stuff. And usually uh, when there's an emotional – when someone uh, – an emotional change in something, uh, usually someone did something unusual for that scenario. Mm -hmm. This isn't always, but uh, this is like an easy way to kind of find that something changed in the scene, right, uh, when there's emotional change. Because uh, usually an unusual thing happens and then a person reacts to that unusual thing, right? And if we figure out why that person reacted, usually the unusual thing was what caused that reaction. Yeah. Yeah. It becomes like an instant frame of, oh, I reacted for some reason. Let yes. me just pinpoint why I did that. Yeah, and I do that because um, all you have to do is act naturally and how you would in that scenario. And it takes away like you trying to find game and rather game just hits you yeah. if you're acting naturally. Um, and I mean naturally for the setting. So uh, always like if you're a pirate, st you sh I still want you to be reacting honestly as if a pirate would. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. all my goal is always uh, to do the work so I could have fun. When yeah. I eat a meal, I eat the vegetables first always because I go, I go, I know I got to eat this. So let me eat the veggies. And then all of a sudden I got a steak and a mashed potato yeah. left. And that's how I feel like I'm ending the meal. And that's how I want to end my improv scenes, eating a fucking yeah. pile of mashed potatoes, you know? And that's just from, like, doing all the work in the beginning, right? Yeah. Having a specific character, justifying, uh, knowing the base reality, unusual thing. Because after all that, I just get to fool around. Yeah. I've started telling people I want the first half of a scene to make life easy on each other. And then the last half, last half make life hard. Yeah. Like, great. You've done all that work. You framed it for each other. You know what you're doing. Now surprise each other. Of course. You know what's so hard? I think people come into comedy with that already inside of them, mm -hmm. right? They want to have fun. That's, I think, I don't, I wouldn't say everybody that's, I mean, I don't know the demographic of one on one students, but like, I wouldn't say everyone, but like, I know at least for me specifically, I came to do improv because I want to fool around. Mm -hmm. And you lose that the more that you train and the more that you learn about the rules. You learn, you forget how to fool around. And I feel like there's a lot of times I see people do all the work and not fool around. Yeah. 
and it's it's like I did all the work. Why didn't that work? I was like because you forgot like the magic of what it is. Yeah, it, and it's about you fooling around, and obviously it's just about going back and forth and trying to figure out the balance between like having fun and following the rules, having fun and following the rules. Right, and when the scene's going off the rails, you go, "Oh, I have all these rules I learned, all these like tools I have in yeah. my tool belt. Let me pull this out." Right? Oh, great, we fixed that. Now it gets fool around a little bit more. Right? Uh oh, this went too far. Let me do this. Right? So it's, I guess I'm kind of saying like, I'm kind of I'm trying to play and destroy stuff and then fix it as I'm destroying mm-hmm. it. Like I never want to throw away my basketball hoop. I just want to keep on putting tape on it. <laughs> right? <laughs> now the scene's gonna be over eventually. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? <laughs> What Sebastian mentioned about fooling around is huge. Some people do too much work in scenes where they've already set everything up and they never actually play the game. And then others don't do the work up top and then they never have this game to play. And it's just kind of this like mad flailing around of, uh, do we have a thing? Do we have a thing? But if you're actually doing the work in that first part of that scene, then you can just go buck wild in the second half. Here's Joey Price. What keeps people from being good at game? A lot of the time it comes down to framing a game. I t- I, I've started telling my 301 and 401 students that maybe rush by unusual things. And, even, and at that point, you're working off a pattern game. So even, even in that instance, mm-hmm. even though they know, like, this person's initiating, I know what idea they're pulling from, you still need to have the moment of... In some way, saying, hey, what you're doing or what we are doing is weird. Right. And I think if students are having a hard time with it, it's that they don't have that moment in there. Yeah. So I like, I try to harp on that a little bit and kind of not being afraid to lay it out in those terms. Yeah. Uh, audiences are forgiving of the first like 30 seconds of scenes. So I think it's okay for somebody to be like, hey, that's weird that you're doing yeah. this thing because normally we do this thing yeah. and now – but you're doing this thing, right? You, like it's okay to be almost that clunky. Exactly. Because people want to play it very like coy and very subtly. But it doesn't – if it doesn't get picked up, then you've never done anything exactly. in your scene. Yeah. And I think it's okay to like be – this is a problem that I have when I improvise I, and that I, I should be better at. Uh, I am often being like, hey, that's weird. Stop it. And I think it's okay to be to like the thing yeah. and be uh, on board with them doing it uh, or pee in the pot it. But you do just still need to be like, what we're doing, what you're doing is weird. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's a big problem that some – not problem, but a thing that a, a keeps thing people. That, yeah, a thing that holds people back a yeah. little bit. So a lot of it comes down to just kind of like reacting a little bit truthfully to what's going on, right? Reacting as yourself in those kinds of moments. If people aren't that comfortable doing that or aren't that used to doing that, that might hold them back a little bit. Yeah. And here's Sebastian Canelli again. Who says you can't repeat shit in scenes to make it easier for oh, yourself? Oh, yeah. It's it's about getting on the same page, and the audience is never mad about communi- like you guys communicating so the rest of the scene's more fun. Right. I've never left a show and said, like, well, I wish they hadn't communicated so much. <laughs> like, that's never, I wish I hadn't known that they were about to do a whole bunch of scenes about this funny topic. Yeah. I wish they'd figured that out without saying it. I don't fucking care. You I know what it you is? It. I think people see TJ and Dave, and they don't repeat it to each other. And mm. everyone holds TJ and Dave up on this Pedestal, rightfully so, because yeah. they're truly amazing. But everyone wants to be them. Ever, I always, you have to remember, they've been performing together for years and years. Just the two of them doing an hour and a half to a two-hour-long show, where they have the time to to place more subtle. 
And they're so used to communicating on every single level of, oh, I know we're both talking to each other as characters and as improvisers. We're looking for this in the scene. Yeah. And also we as humans are looking for this in the show. Yeah. It, it's so like, keep the training wheels on. Yeah. Mine are on. Yeah. I'm fucking loving them. I get to go faster with them on. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> It's like when people see Picasso and they're like, I guess we can just paint anything. I guess we just paint cubism. No, you paint, you start by drawing realistically and really having those forms and making it clear what it is. And then you start adjusting. That's why when a group asks, what form do I think you should do? I go, you have 12 to 15, do three first beats, a group game, and then callbacks. Yeah. Because that's something that's going to actually get you better. Yeah. The Heralds was like created in a, as a form like that for a reason because it utilizes all the skills that like are needed to kind of be a great improviser. Mm-hmm. Now Morgan Phillips with even more on framing because if it's not clear yet, framing is very important. Also, there was a class rehearsing next door, so you'll be able to hear it at some points. Honestly, that's true with a lot of the interviews I did. I did them at the UCB Training Center, and you know what? Sometimes you're going to hear improv classes. If you don't want to hear improv classes, maybe don't listen to an improv podcast. Here's Morgan Phillips. What do you like to work on with teams to get them better at game? So many. There's so many different aspects to it. Um, framing is is really a big thing yeah. that, I've, that I've emphasized a lot in my coaching. Um, I think the, when the UCB manual came out, that was mm-hmm. one of the big things I took away from it, that idea of framing the game. Yeah. That was just a term. It felt like we had this lexical gap of like, oh, we all wanted this thing. And then yeah. we saw framing and it was like, yes, let's call it that. Exactly. How do you get th- people better at framing? Part of it is just giving them permission to say what they think is funny out loud. Just literally say it out loud. I think it instinctively feels like that will ruin the game. Because I think, I think in normal life, if you like say, hey, here's the funny thing that's going on right now, that's, it's probably, that's not a, that doesn't seem, feel right or doesn't yeah. feel funny. But if you want to get on the same page about exactly what's funny, you need to say it out loud because on, on a certain level because what's in your head is probably not exactly what's in other people's heads. Yeah. There was a, a thing that I think before the manual would happen a lot. And it was maybe the thing that was missing for me in the sort of, in my going through the UCB system, which I think when a really, really great improviser is teaching improv, it's easy to forget that not everybody else that you play with is either a great improviser or the same on the same like wavelength uh-huh. as you. So I think that you, once you're a great improviser playing with other great improvisers, it's much easier for you to make a game move and everyone be like, oh, I see that game move. I see exactly what, what game they're going for. Right. And you take it for granted that you go almost immediately from the unusual thing to jumping into gameplay. And I think that it's easy to forget that people's brains interpret funny things really, really differently. Yeah. An audience might, the whole audience might laugh at something, say in, a, in, a, in an opening, but they, but there might be three or four different reasons they're laughing mm-hmm. at that thing. I really, I really don't believe that there's just one, there's one game to take out of a, out of a thing. I think there's almost always different ways to describe the unusual thing and different ways to justify that unusual thing, and then different games that come out of it. Mm-hmm. So the so the idea of saying it saying it out loud, just saying it out loud, and also. Uh, the flip side of that is listening for people saying it out loud. Sometimes yeah. somebody will frame the game perfectly, and people will just hear it as sort of, oh, yeah, they're just talking more. They're just saying more words uh, without it sinking in as they're telling me what they think the game of the scene is. And if I go along with that, we'll be on the same page about what, what the game is. Yeah. 
Uh, so framing is super important. But also, I've started looking at other ways to frame other than saying it out loud. Such as? I'll, I'll do a drill where when somebody in the scene, uh, doing an organic scene, when somebody in the scene thinks they know what the game is, they will raise their hand. Mm-hmm. And we will know that the next thing they're going to do is a game move based on what they think the game is. Right. And then we'll check in to see, based off that game move, what does everyone think they think the game is. Yeah. So things like that. Just sort of getting, getting, getting on the same page about getting on the same page. Right. Can, can I interpret my scene partner's game moves? Uh, are, they, are they clear game moves that tell me what they think mm-hmm. the game of the scene is? So saying it out loud, uh, making a game move. And also that idea of you, you, there is a formula for finding a game that almost will not fail, which is calling out the unusual thing yeah. specifically, justifying that and saying if that funny thing is true, what else is true. Yeah. And that doesn't always happen in scenes and, and doesn't always happen in successful scenes. Mm-hmm. But if you do that, it's really hard not to have a game that you're on the same page about. So just drilling that over and over again. Yeah. And the the idea that uh, I think it's, it's not a an immediately intuitive thing for people that there can be different reasons why something is unusual. Yeah. We'll t- sort of all understand that something is unusual uh, without realizing that we might all have different takes on why it's unusual. It feels very much like the, it takes two points to make a line. Like people think they see one point, Hey, we know exactly what this is, but really we need that other point. So that way we can concretely say, yeah. and this is the direction it's going. Right, and sometimes uh, like a game move right out of right out right out of that thing, we can sort of triangulate. Yeah, but to have it just stated outright, I think is is sort of the ultimate. And it's so it just makes it so easy in a scene if your scene partner just says, "Hey, I think this is the funny thing that's going on." Right yeah, now. every time this happens, you do this. Right, that's literally just a blueprint for the rest of the scene. If that's true, what else yeah. would be true? I st- I've started thinking of the voice of reason as the comedian and the weird person as the actor. In that, and this is not true for all scenes, obviously, but that, okay, so somebody does a weird thing. People think it's then on the person doing the weird thing. They're going to get all the laughs. They're going to be the comedian. But I think really the person who frames it, if they frame it using their own voice of what they find funny, they get to do almost that stand-up comic type thing of like, this is crazy because blank. And they get to explain yeah. specifically their voice of it. They're being the comedian and they get to feed things. And then the weird person just gets to act. They just get to like react and do those things rather than, oh, I am both making the moves and doing all this stuff. Definitely. And, and also that idea that the frame often comes from the voice of reason mm-hmm. or straight man. Uh, but it can come from the unusual person, too. Yeah. It can come from anywhere. It can come from a walk-on. It can come from, from anywhere. Right. But, yeah, I like that idea that it, it's, it's your, your sense of humor coming out in the way you label what the unusual thing is and in the way you justify it. Up next is Lydia Hensler. When I was planning this episode and trying to figure out whom to interview, Lydia was the first person I thought of to talk about game with. Anytime I've taken a class from her or been coached by her, she just has this very clear, razor-sharp focus on game. You guys didn't agree with each other and play that game. You guys set up a game, but then didn't really explore it. She will just give concise, clear notes about game. So I wanted to first talk about how she learned game. When did you feel like you got game? I remember a very specific Gethard class where I was in some scene. I was in a locker room. I was like a dude in a locker room, like a middle-aged man in a locker room. 
somebody said something like, oh, that was really great out there. We were like in a gym locker room, like a, like a gym you would join. And, uh, and I said, oh, I just hang out in the locker room. I come here for the camaraderie. And I, like it was just, I feel like up until that point, I didn't know, I don't know if we were even teaching game like the way we teach game. Right. It was not like a set curriculum or anything like that. Um, but I, like I didn't get like, oh, that's the funny thing. I feel like I just responded and whatever mm-hmm. came out of my mouth came out of my mouth. And then, people were tagging in and then like putting me in other weird places he stopped the scene and was like no you're there for the same reason what was the reason I was like oh camaraderie he's like yeah it's the same funny thing right. <laughs> and I was like oh and it was like ding 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 like that's you just do the funny thing yeah. a bunch of times in cool ways you yeah. did that just do that again yeah do please that again. just do that again do it again more and I think I don't know if that that's like my light bulb moment mm-hmm. that I remember but I also think what's important about that as far as game, because I'm a huge justification person, is like that was why I was hanging in the locker room was I like, come there for the camaraderie. Like so just knowing why we were doing what we were doing, uh, it's always been fused together like that. So um, it just kind of made it easier because then yeah. it's like, oh, I'm not guessing at what the funny thing is. It's being driven by the character. Right. Yeah. First off, what are some of the pitfalls with game that people like fall into? I think one of the worst textbook scenes that you see all the time is like an actual physical gift where someone's like, here, I got you this present. And they open it, and it gets like a mildly funny reaction. And then they're like, great, I got you another present. (laughs) It's just like a series of three gifts for some reason. As though anybody has that much money in real life anyway to buy someone three gifts for their birthday. Um, But then it's just like everyone's just doing sort of a pattern, and we're confused, Mm -hmm. and you're like guessing at like, I think this is it. But I think the other pitfall that I see a lot with game is – uh, when we're first learning it, is skating by it, right? Mm-hmm. And so the thing I've been saying, you know how when you're coaching or, or teaching, it's like um, you go through phases. You're like, oh, this is my new thing yeah, yeah. that I keep saying. So the thing that I've been saying a lot is uh, don't be wasps at a dinner party. Because, okay. like, if you're just reacting truthfully, uh-huh. like, funny, like, the game, the unusual thing, it pops up. It just will. Right. Um, and... But if you like wasps at a dinner party, something unusual will pop up and they'll just be like, oh. Oh, nice. How nice for you. Yeah. Anyway. If somebody was like, I just got out of jail, you'd be like, oh, oh, well, you look great. Um, Would you like some, have you tried the dip? You know, and they wouldn't deal with it. We're like an improv, or even just like if you're not a wasp at a dinner party and someone's like, I just got out of jail, you'd be like, what? What were you in Mm -hmm. for? Like, um, and hopefully in improv, we know to not ask too many questions. So you can be like, oh, that's right. Our robbery or something like you can give them what they did. Or just have knowledge, but yeah. So that's the, so it's like letting it skate past because I think people are trying to do it right and yeah. they want to just be like, okay, yes, and and not taking that moment where like, oh, if I was in real life, I'd be like, right. er, what? Like, let's deal with this. I think that thing of treat everything like it's on purpose. You know, mm-hmm. when we're actors and we look at a script in a play or a TV show, you somebody wrote that, so you examine like the like impulses behind it and why did they write it, and like you just treat everything like it's so much on purpose. And I think the fun about improv is like if we don't maybe necessarily even know why we're reacting the way that we're acting, but you're trusting all of your instincts. And then if you trust that it's all happening on purpose, then you won't shy away from everything Mm -hmm. and then you can use it. And then the, the joy of callbacks or even in a Herald, when there's this structure where, you know, you're returning to stuff, um, any sort of flaw or mistake or miscalculation can be so celebrated that Mm -hmm. it looks like not only intentional, but makes everything so much better, you know, and it creates something that wouldn't have been there had you done it so perfectly. Mm -hmm. I always say just go with like the most normal reason Mm -hmm. somebody would do something. 
you don't have to go into like a huge child back childhood backstory yeah, yeah. or anything. Um, but we also don't have to like overthink justification. Like if I'm just nervous, um, and somebody's like, you seem really nervous. And that feels like maybe the way I'm doing something, mm-hmm. maybe, I don't know. I'm trying to think like, what's a fun thing to be nervous at? Like maybe I'm a, a, a NICU nurse or something and right. I'm really nervous and it's like a bad place to have jittery yeah. hands, you know? So I'm like a NICU nurse and somebody's saying I'm really nervous. Like the job can make me nervous or I can, my mother-in-law could be visiting and that makes me nervous but either way like me holding a baby with shaky hands is funny but we have to like keep figuring out why so is it because like it's just like oh I thought I was gonna just you know shoot up people with insulin all day I thought I was gonna be a diabetes nurse this is hard you know it's just like any normal reason to be nervous makes the situation believable and funny and then it's not just like oh what do they think it's like edgy to like put babies lives on the line like that's not the the comedy's not coming from like I'm shaking a baby it's like it's coming from like oh god I don't want to shake this baby and I'm shaking it because I'm so scared because my mother-in-law hates me and I'm sure what I cook for dinner won't be right Right. or whatever yeah and then we have that tension of like I'm trying not to do this but that happens yeah which is so much of what like old school like physical comedy was of like I don't want to break this yeah but I'm going to fall into it and that's real life right like I feel like I remember I had this acting teacher he was so oh god he was so eccentric it was so funny he would make us do yoga every morning like uh, we all had to do like a sun salutation and it was like part of our grade mm-hmm. <laughs> it was just like he was very he, how did he grade you on a sun salutation it was literally like are you doing these poses with like proper posture and okay. like you know we're just like a bunch of 18 year olds like what uh learning this thing but uh but your body was an instrument you know it was like he was like very dedicated committed actor um and when he was teaching one uh, one of the takeaways i had that was really helpful was he said watching somebody cry on stage is not compelling watching somebody try not to cry is so compelling and because that feels so real Mm -hmm. you know it's very rare that you're I mean I think we should all feel our feelings Um, but but I think like if I'm with somebody and I'm starting to get emotional there is this natural impulse to like try and not do this right I'm like I don't want to fall apart in front of you right now and so when we watch that, we relate so much. So when you act, like when you really just behave like a normal human on right. stage, it's so real. Um, and then that's where the comedy comes from. Mm-hmm. Delaney once said this, and I say it all the time now in my classes, and I give him credit, uh, is this, uh, the, like, get eaten by the shark, you know? So it's like, if you're swimming in the ocean, and you, like, if I, Lydia, was swimming in the ocean, and I saw a shark, I'd swim to shore, right? Um, That's uh, awful and scary. Um, And hopefully I'm safe and sound, and then I go on to live my lovely life as an improviser. Um, But then, if I'm swimming in the ocean in an improv scene, and we see a shark, then we want to see like me try and swim to shore. Mm-hmm. We want to see like my claw marks on the sand. Like we, but get eaten by the shark. Yeah. Like nobody wants to see somebody just like safely on the beach being like, "Wow, that was something." Blackout. Right. You know, I'm like, we want to like, like do the thing. Yeah. You know. And if your whole thing is like, maybe you're swimming and your whole thing is like, "Oh, I find the silver lining and everything." Then while you're being eaten by the shark, you can find the silver Still lining. Still that silver lining. Yeah. Exactly. And, like to play that game while getting torn to shreds by a shark is going to be. So so fun, you know, versus just being like grateful you didn't get eaten by right. the shark, which is a normal, boring thing. Like that you. And it have feels to like the right move is either I should not die because we don't want to die in scenes. We don't want to kill people in scenes is like the rule. Or yeah. oh, I just need to get eaten right away and then it's over. Yeah. Rather than yeah, be human, struggle. Yeah. But show us the scene, which is the time the optimist got eaten by the shark. Yeah. So here's why justification is important. 
so often the justification, I think, is the real game. With a lot of the examples so far, like Lydia's first example of the guy in the locker room for camaraderie, the justification of why he was there for camaraderie is the actual game. If someone is doing something weird for no reason, then that person is crazy. There's not going to be a fun scene there. But if that person is doing something weird because they believe it's right, that's their game. That justification of why they do that weird thing, that's what they really need to bring with them when you bring them into a second beat or when you tag them elsewhere, whatever. The justification makes that person correct in their minds. Here's Lily Do with her definition of game, where justification is front and center. I think of game as a justified, unusual behavior given a certain context. Great. So let's break that apart. Yeah. So framing like wasn't a word that was around when I was a student. Mm -hmm. And I think I maybe also define it a little more specifically than the book, but I think Mm -hmm. it's a really helpful idea that it's like a behavior that's unusual in one scene is not unusual in another scene. And also like we need to know what our base reality is for the unusual thing to pop. I think that is so clear. Um, I do the same exercise with a lot of groups and it's like a really hard, heady exercise and just kind of depending on how they're feeling or how I'm feeling that day, it can go well or it can be like way too tough. And that is taking the first one to three lines to establish the who, what, where. Um, And I always say like, it doesn't have to be boring. It just has to be like believable. So you can be like a knight and a princess. You can be witches. Uh, It doesn't have to be like all office scenes but you just have to commit to that reality so i know this isn't weird Mm -hmm. these are witches and then i need someone to make a first unusual choice a big clear unusual choice and then i want the other person to say that's unusual because normally blank and that's it and then maybe they'll play out the scene but usually i'll just run those like just like four or five line scenes for like 20 minutes or something because then you're establishing that we need to look at this in context yeah right yeah and also we need to be able to frame why something is actually unusual and some of that is a little subjective Mm -hmm. but oftentimes you realize that like people just don't have the language or processing ability yet to like kind of figure out why something is weird Mm -hmm given a certain context. I don't know if this exercise is too challenging, like if some people's brains just don't think this way, but it feels so fundamental to game to me. Yeah, because we're all laughing at something. We're all having that innate reaction of, oh, these two things don't match. My brain is now releasing that tension by laughing. Yeah. Not everybody either verbally explains it or hasn't yet learned that. And I that does feel like very fundamental to if you can state it yeah you're gonna be able to then add to it that yes. much more easily i also think it is like the secret to be able to like organically find game to recognize what kind of unusual behaviors work and so like that's something i mean it's kind of an exercise that can be used to focus on so many different things mm-hmm. Uh, One thing that I'll see a lot is that, like, people just don't know how to do, like, a playable weird behavior. If I tell them, like, all right, like, great, you have your who, what, where, you guys are, like, in the office break room, then they'll be like, "Uh, I think aliens came into my house last night. Or they'll, like, get 
really mean all of a sudden. Right. And it's also like emphasizing that's like if you really commit to your base reality and live in it, you've already kind of, we talk about paths, you've already kind of narrowed the path you're on. Just like the way you talk to your office worker. It's like, are you guys peers? Mm-hmm. Are they your boss? That's already if you feel inferior to them, anything that's going to come from you should be in that world. Mm-hmm. It does everything. Yeah. <laughs> I think if people just ran that for a year, they'll all get on Harold. <laughs> oh, and then for game, I think justification matters. And yeah, that's- how come? Because that's another thing that I think like framing came about very much like once that was in the UCB manual. I remember reading that phrase in the UCB manual and thinking like, yes, this is the word for the idea that we've all been kind of muddling about this idea yeah. that you need to react, right? Yeah. I think framing is the precursor to justification. Mm-hmm. So if you were to expand that exercise, it's like someone frames it and then they justify it. And again, it's like, I don't want to say there are right or wrong justifications, but just from my experience, there are justifications that end up being playable and feel good and you can do second beats of and there are ones that kind of trap you in a first beat where it's hard to make moves i think if like you do a good justification that speaks to the unusual behavior but is also broad enough that you can make more moves off of it your scene should feel easy Mm And that's not always the case, but I think if you're struggling, if you have your game and you're really struggling to make moves, your justification is either maybe too broad or too specific. Mm -hmm. Like it's either like, oh yeah, I'm afraid of the rain because um, my mom died in the rain when I was young and you have to keep going back to that and it's too like far off or it's like way too broad and you're like, I'm afraid of the rain because like wet things are gross and, right. and you're like or it's like or it's like mm, I'm a teacher and I say awkward things and then you're struggling to come up with the next right. thing I'm like because it's too broad if if you really narrow it down it should make it easy and the the first example you gave with the mom those types of justifications like past or outside justifications yeah. I find people rely on yeah and it's they don't help because it's yeah. like, well, then, great, let's see this other person. I'd rather see your mom than, I guess, yeah. do the same yeah. than you because she seems like the fun one. Yeah. I will say they work sometimes, I think, if you really commit to the acting of mm-hmm. it, but you can't do them all the time. Yeah. At my first Herald Night, I literally used, a, like, a past <laughs> justification because <laughs> I was someone who, like, didn't want to be bothered. Like, right. that was my whole thing. Yeah. Any exercises you like to run for, like, this nails down justification? Man, I like that old Will Hines one, the accusations exercise, where someone's like, hey, honey, how come there's like 50 box turtles in our bathtub? And the other person just says yes and owns it. And it's also like a good exercise early on to get people to stop deflecting accusations and start owning things. Mm -hmm. Because you have to then just like, I did this purposefully. Yeah. I didn't do it on accident. I didn't do it for any other reason than... I believe this thing and putting 50 box turtles in the bathtub was the best way to whatever. I mean, I encourage like students that I coach to like email me with any questions they might have or whatever. And that's like always open, although I don't like super emphasize it these days because here's if you email me, I'm the kind of person I will write you a too thorough answer. Someone once asked me like, oh, I feel weird about this justification. 
I、uh, chose, and I wrote them back my entire thesis on justifications. The good thing is now that exists, and I forward it to other people. Right. Right. So, what is your thesis on justifications then? Or is there any any more of like these are like the big points of Lily Dew's thesis on justification? I think it's everything I just said.、Yeah. My thesis on justifications is that it has to speak specifically to that first unusual thing you did, and it this is going to sound like a paradox, but it has to be like specific yet broad. Like、yeah. it should address the thing you did, but it should be broad enough that it feels. Like believable, repeatable stuff. Because also, that's another thing I don't like. Justifications get weird sometimes, where it's like, "Oh yeah, because this specific thing happened to me,"、mm-hmm. and I just like I don't buy it. And、yeah. if I don't buy it, I'm not going to enjoy watching the scene. Right. It should, you know, it should come from like a relatable human place. And it can be weird, and it can be justifying a weird pattern of behavior. But I just have to buy it. I'm not saying everything has to be boring. Yeah, it just has to like tap into that. That is an innate human、yeah. drive that I understand. Yes. And yeah, the specifically touching on the everything that's given to you is another part that I feel like people sometimes miss. Like if it is, why are there fifty box turtles in the bathtub? I want the fact that they are fifty box turtles in a bathtub. Yeah. Not just like, hey, this is why I bought turtles. Not just、yes. why did I put things in a bathtub. Yes. Why that? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I. That that's what I mean by that. Yeah. When someone gets a weird thing, they'll sometimes just only speak to a part of it. I'm like, no, because then you wouldn't have done that specific weird thing. You like turtles? You wouldn't buy fifty of them. Uh huh. And you wouldn't put them in a bathtub,、yeah. like you would. Fi- you love、yeah. turtles so much, you would buy a、yeah. terrarium or whatever it is. But I think that's hard for people too, because they're like, "How do you do it?" And I'm like, literally, like, I like. You- <laughs> It's so much fast thinking that your brain has to do. It has to be like turtles. Well, is it because of what kind of animal they are? They're、mm. a slow animal. Also, nobody wants turtles. Fifty. Why would there be so many? Maybe there were a Band. Like、right. you have to kind of like make all those inferences and try、right. to find something there. Sometimes I'll make people just like talk it through because like then by saying those things out loud they find it like oh they said all that stuff oh I want to keep turtles safe and so I'm bringing them back and I'm bathing all the turtles just because I want to do that and、yeah. like only by like bit by bit、yeah. saying like I I believe that I am a caretaker of nature yeah you can only get to that by like. Uncovering layer by layer.、Mm-hmm. Also, when I coach and I explain a new exercise, I use all the same examples I've、yeah. ever used, and the box turtle ones is my example for the accusations、yeah. exercise. I feel like I make up new examples every time, and it's all, like I always feel like I'm then apologizing for like this is a bad game, but whatever. Yeah, I'm always like struggling, and so I'd rather just make it easy and be like <laughs> this. You're right. Or、I'll、like refer to scenes that I've seen a、yeah. lot of times. By the way, that Will Hines exercise, Lily and Dwyer both mentioned, are in Will's book and on his improv blog, which is improvnonsense.tumblr.com. Now, here's a bit more from Morgan Phillips about justification.、Uh, what about justification stuff? How do you like working on that? Because that's another thing that I think has taken on more importance as I've continued through improv. I think like it was maybe talked about less when I started. Yeah, there's for me coaching. And teaching justification,、uh, there is still a little bit of mystery to it that I、yeah. haven't quite cracked. The I'll do like have some. We'll 
be proposing different justifications for things. And for me, I'll just say that there's a test whether something is a good justification Mm -hmm. or not. And that is, does it allow us to easily say, if this unusual thing is true, what else is true? Yeah. If it doesn't allow that, then it's not a good justification. If it explains it away and makes it no longer unusual entirely, then it's it's too too good of a justification almost. I mean, that kind of is confusing language, but it doesn't, doesn't work as well as a justification. Finally, here's Bill DiPiero talking about Gavin Spieler's three-hander class, which is a class Gavin taught a couple times at UCB focused on three-person monoscenes. Since each person has to keep their behavior going for a full 15 minutes throughout the monoscene, justification is a huge part of learning the form and, obviously, therefore, a huge part of what Gavin has his classes do to prepare for it. When I took Gavin's three-hander class... Mm -hmm. And I remember one of the things that he really noted us on was like we were it's three person mono scene. So it was he was like everybody gets a behavior, everybody gets a justification yeah. or a belief. And it was just like very clear to me. And and he was like, It's everyone's responsibility to give everyone those things. Mm-hmm. And he was also very helpful in terms of like what is a worthwhile justification. Where, like, I remember in D.C. it'd be, like, history, philosophy, metaphor. So it's, like, you can give yourself depth or, or like, yeah. a justification by either referring to your past, uh-huh. giving a, a belief statement, or by giving some sort of a metaphor that, like, sums up okay. your worldview. Basically, here, it's, like, don't use history because that doesn't help in a herald. Yeah, because that's not universal enough, so you can't apply it to enough situations where it would it would fit. Yes, and because we're then seeing it, if you are doing something due to your past, it is a, it is innately not a justification because you're doing it due to an external thing. Yeah. You don't believe that's the right way to do it. You just are now forced to do it. Yeah, it's, it's as if somebody off stage were pointing a gun at you and saying, okay, now say you're a wacky chicken man. Yeah. It's like, okay, that doesn't yeah. tell me why this guy's do a uh, chicken man other than fear of getting shot or whatever. Yeah, it's like removes the locus of control, which is often something like, I'll even say that sometimes when I'm coaching. It's like, this mm-hmm. was all external. You like had to do this stuff. You have to own it more. Yeah. But like with Gavin's thing, with the way he was talking about philosophy, he was saying that you need to get to the basement of your justification. Yeah. So... It's like that why three times exercise or basically so often your first justification won't be enough Mm -hmm. or it's not expansive enough where it really feels like it allows you to do things. And this is maybe like another larger point, which is often the way that things are presented, especially now that we have a textbook, Mm -hmm. things are laid out almost as if it's like a complete philosophical system, which yeah. I don't think it holds up that way because yeah. a lot of it's self-contradictory and yeah. it doesn't quite work or it's like you have to focus on certain things, but like if you do that, you're neglecting others. It's more like um, conventionalism, mm-hmm. which is like... <laughs> We've seen these things work in scenes. Yeah. Therefore, we're repeating these things. They don't work for every scene. Yes, Certain things apply to others. And it's like, it's one of those things, like even teaching level one, people will like point out things or like be, or like have questions, but well, what about this Mm -hmm. other thing where it's like, 
should I always say yes? You know, like there's like that classic like yes and where it's like, yeah, but now you need to dig into something, you know, after a bit. And in giving those best practices and establishing them as – or saying, hey, this is a rule rather than a best practice, it feels like, oh, when somebody does this, I have to do this. But justifications often aren't like that. It isn't, oh, I know the justification. You often have to keep digging down. Yeah, it's like – Dig down until you feel like you can make more moves. Mm-hmm. That it's you're doing, you're making it easier for yourself in order to keep going in the scene. You don't justify something because someone told you to. Yeah, you know, it's not like this is a game versus a pattern. Like yeah. I mean, I don't know. You can say that, but it's like it's more like what helps you get forward. Because like sometimes it's just like someone having a want or an emotional response is enough. Yeah. And sometimes, and group games are proof of this, just repeating something enough justifies it. Sure. Or it like, okay, I buy it. Everyone's doing this or whatever. Mm -hmm. So this is the other thing I'll push when I'm coaching. And I'm not sure I totally explain it right, but it's like I want someone to behave. So it's like the this is in terms of like the action where it's like. This is the Austin Powers belief of game. Oh, oh, behave. Do I make you randy? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Oh, behave. Yeah, that's what I'll tell people now. Yeah. The awesome powers. It's a hum. I, I feel like most good games, and this is probably wrong, are like based off of some sort of primordial thing mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, you're being jealous or, oh, you're getting irritated at someone. It's like some sort of combination of like a very selfish animal mm-hmm. action and a reason for it. Right. Everyone has these like animal behaviors but they don't feel logical to us so that when we start to pull it into like either either a pattern or some sort of a logical sphere, mm-hmm. it can feel like a collision of two different things, like almost like two different natures. And then we like laughter is often the response, you yeah. know, or when like those behaviors are misapplied. Yeah. Justification to me feels like a good justification brings this thing that doesn't tie to one of those basic emotional feelings one of those basic human feelings and it eventually finds the way of this is why I think this. Yeah. Right. Oh, I was doing this thing that was weird. Why? Because of this. Why? Because of this. Why? Because I just want to feel blank. Yeah. You know, like this makes me feel powerful or weak or scared or or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like really rooted in human. Mm -hmm. I've, I've also had this thought of like, how uh, your behavior and your justification are, like, inversely unusual. Okay, yeah. Where it's like, if you have a very unusual behavior, you need a very relatable reason for it. Exactly, because that gives the audience a way into your character and a a safe point for you to move forward. Yeah, it's not believable if someone's just doing something crazy for a crazy reason. Right, also, you can do normal things, but for an insane reason. I yeah. remember there was some example where it was like, this was like an old Terry Withers workshop I did, or I was coaching, and he he said that all justifications had to be playable, repeatable, and they don't remove the banana peel. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you need to, this needs to be something that allows you to make moves. Repeatable meaning like, not a history, I'm afraid of snakes as I was mm-hmm. bit by a snake, and the banana peel is like, oh, why do you always walk around in a Mickey Mouse costume? Oh, because I'm trying to provide for my family. It's like, yeah. all right, now this isn't funny. Yeah. You know? You can't take away the fun thing with your justification. It should emphasize 
you are still going to be able to do it. It's still going to be innately weird. Yeah. I remember the example we like did. Someone did a scene where it was like, I destroyed all of the tax documents in this business. And the mm-hmm. guy's like, why did you do that? And then the justification was like, because I wanted you to notice me. Yeah. You know, like a very strange behavior and a very real kind of justification. Right. The other one's a little harder where it's like, if you have normal behaviors and unusual justification, it's probably like the comedy's going to come from the disconnect between the two of those. Where right. It's like, oh, you thought that that was going to lead to that? It's like, I'm trying to take over the world, and then yeah. you're doing like small things or yeah. something. That's episode one, game, framing and justification. If it's not abundantly clear so far, framing is necessary for game-based improv. If you are going to really accentuate this is the funny part of the scene, everybody on that stage better know this is the funny part of that scene, so we're all moving in the exact same direction. Episode two will be about all of those other parts that are necessary for actually playing the game once you've discovered what it is. Thanks to everyone who was part of this episode. I am Achilles Stamatalaki. Nicole Dressbell. James Dwyer. Uh, Sebastian Canelli. Uh, Joey Price. I'm Morgan Phillips. Hi, Lydia Hensler. Hi, I'm Lily Dew. Bill DePiro. And I'm Curtis Rutherford.